Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap. Today's Wednesday, January 20th. Joe Biden is in, Donald Trump is out, and we're focused on Inauguration Day. Joseph Robinette Biden became America's 46th president earlier today, and Kamala Harris, the country's vice president, in an inauguration unlike any other in modern history. No outgoing president in attendance, more soldiers than supporters, a mall full of flags, not families. For Biden, it was the recognition of an ambition he first revealed more than 30 years ago during the first of his three presidential campaigns. For the country, it's a new chapter. So we want to dig into what Biden said in his speech and what comes next with a special Axios panel conversation with political reporters Hans Nichols and Alexi McCammond. Alexi, let me start with you. Was this speech basically what you expected from Biden or were there any surprises in it? Yeah, I mean, what we've seen from Biden is compassion and empathy and a focus on unity in a way that we certainly haven't seen from President Trump in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic and in a way that we saw Joe Biden really center his campaign on before he was even elected president. Um, So what we saw today is not just a nod to those moments on the campaign trail leading up to inauguration, but how we can sort of imagine him to govern moving forward in a way that is more stable than what we've seen in the past. And also in a way that is more clear eyed about sort of the divisions and the implications of that over the last four years and the tall task that he has in front of him to kind of remedy those things. You know, Hans, when I was listening to news reports this morning, it's always, you know, Biden is putting the finishing touches on his speech, et cetera. Who actually wrote this speech or at least who wrote the original draft of this? Basically, who is Biden's Stephen Miller in terms of writing speeches? Oh, that's Vinay Reddy, who worked for Biden as vice president in the White House and then worked in the NBA as a speechwriter for Adam Silver. The honest answer is committee, right? Committees always write these speeches. And the old joke, you know, a camel is a committee that came up with a horse and then came up with a camel. But you have so many different hands. At the end of the day, though, it has to be in the president's voice. And, you know, Joe Biden, that sounded like Joe Biden to me. So if people tell me Joe Biden wrote that speech, I'm going to believe them. And he had a big hand in it. And, uh, you know, I don't mean that as like the old insult where, you know, someone said, you know, you wrote this book and I, for one, believe them. Like, you know, it was Biden's words, Biden's speech. And it was his tone. And I think that's what Lexi's getting at. Hans, let me just follow up. There were references to policy in here, right? Things like health care uh, for all. Racial justice was talked about a lot. What do you take from this speech in terms of how that will translate into what Joe Biden will do from a policy perspective, not just a tone perspective, but a policy perspective in the White House? Very little. I take that Joe Biden thinks is his main task is being setting the tone for the country. Now, policy is important, and they spent an entire campaign giving detailed policy speeches, trying to explain what they're going to do on racial justice, on the economy. But, you know, inaugural addresses in general are about setting the atmospherics. And so this, in a lot of ways, you asked Alexi if there are any surprises. This speech was very similar to what he said at the convention, very similar to sort of what he kicked off with. There were a few surprises in that, you know, he asked the country. I wasn't expecting him to ask the country to join him in a moment of prayer. But, you know, in general, these speeches are about setting the direction. And at most, you remember one or two lines, right? From Trump, you remember American carnage. From Kennedy, we all remember the line. So in reality, it's about establishing a tone for your presidency. And that was his goal. And it seems like he made it. Alexi, Biden had to walk a little bit of a tightrope on the unity side, right? He couldn't piss off folks on the left too much by seeming too forgiving of Trump. And on the other hand, he couldn't piss off Trump supporters too much 
Do you think he achieved that balance successfully? Or does nobody become really happy with this except for the folks in the center? <laughs> I don't even know what the center looks like anymore for Mac. But I do think that, like, of course, as we saw on January 6th, there are a number of Americans who are living and breathing and dying by Trumpism. And that is going to continue even when Joe Biden is president. But the tone and the way that he tried to strike this balance certainly seemed clear. It's this idea of like not going too far in your rhetoric kind of to scare people away, not going too bold or too progressive or too far to the left when you're talking about racial justice or health care or other things. Those moments might come where Joe Biden is tested and has to alienate some of those Republicans who he was so desperate to court during the campaign and win over in the general election. But today is mostly symbolic. So we should probably take that with a grain of salt. I think it's the Joe Biden we have seen. But I think the realities of the situation he's facing, the dynamics in Congress, the Mitch McConnell's, the Lindsey Graham's, the Josh Hawley's, that's going to be a big test for Biden, where today is kind of like his honeymoon day. It's his honeymoon period for sure today. Alexi, we saw a bit of that with Roy Blunt, the uh, Republican senator who helped emcee the event with Amy Klobuchar. He gave a shout out to Obama near the end. But do you think, is there any real reason to expect the GOP is going to work well with Biden? I mean, without Trump, everything is up in the air. And we've seen how some Republicans in Congress have already tried to distance themselves, not just from President Trump, but from or former President Trump, but from Trumpism also to move forward within the Republican Party. And look, Joe Biden is not lying when he says that he wants to make bipartisan deals and work and operate in a bipartisan manner. We've seen that, whether it was the Democratic National Convention and the way it featured so many Republicans in support of Biden or the way that he talked on the campaign trail to not alienate those white working class voters who went for Donald Trump in 2016. So I think Biden will be clear eyed with that in mind. It's just a matter of what are the external forces and dynamics that are shaping and influencing the Republican Party ahead of 2022? They will not have an incentive to work with someone like Joe Biden if it's clear that the Republican base ahead of the next midterms and the next presidential still wants that kind of red meat politics that Donald Trump gave them. Hans, Biden is expected to issue several, I think we said 15 executive orders uh, later today, things like reentering the Paris Climate Accord. Anything in that list that surprises you or anything that's not in that list that surprises you by not being there? No, not really. They telegraph pretty much everything from Keystone to climate to um, immigration to racial justice. You know, there's some things that they've given themselves an out to do later in the week. So this isn't exhaustive, right? And you're right to sort of point out the is it 15? Is it 17? I think it's 15 executive orders and memorandum and then two other actions, two agencies. So you get to the magic number of 17. I'm not playing numerology here or anything. That's just where they ended up with expect a lot more. This is just the opening day. And to the broader point, look, Joe Biden controls this day. He will have very difficult times in his presidency. But today he controls. He controls the choreography of it. He controls his message. This is his day. And yes, he hit his marks. And I, I suspect we'll all be talking about a successful speech in a couple of days time. But this is the easy stuff. And Biden people understand that they know it's going to be an enormous task. He tried to prepare the country for that, but no one inside Biden's inner circle thinks what he's attempting to do is going to be easy, is going to be light, and isn't going to cause a great deal of hard sweat and, uh, and just difficult times. Hans, you make a good point that today is Joe Biden's day, but I got to be honest, I'm still thinking about Lady Gaga's performance. Lexi, so these are two final very important questions. I'll start with you. Who did better, Gaga or Jennifer Lopez? Listen, I am so glad you're asking this because I am a Lady Gaga fan. 
Oh, so you were biased going in. So this isn't fair. That's what I thought. But when JLo performed, I was like, oh, actually, she's a better singer than Lady Gaga. So, I mean, take this from me, who doesn't sing and doesn't know. But I was like, that might be the move. So what do we remember from 1960? Robert Frost kind of blinking and not being able to get his poetry lines? Or Kennedy's line, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country? It's a, it's a great question. What is the bigger thing? Is it, is it the actual substance of the speech? Or, you know, was it Maya Angelou in 1993? Like, I, I think that's a fair question. The difference, though, between now and then is Twitter. So, Hans, my question to you, what is the lasting memory from today? Is it Amanda Gorman's stirring poem? Or is it Bernie Sanders sitting alone, looking pissed off, wearing mittens? I just want it to be George W. Bush with his poncho again. I think that should be the universal meme for all inaugural addresses. Look, I like you're asking me to like take a snapshot and tell you, you know, which is which frame will last history. If I were that smart, I'd have your job and I'd be able to say pissed off on my own podcast. But I'm not that cool. Hans Nichols, Alexi McCammon, thank you so much for joining. Welcome back. What we're watching today is fallout from the final actions of the Trump administration, including the rescission of an executive order he issued just days into office, which had barred former White House officials from lobbying for five years after leaving. Super, super swampy. Oh, and then there were pardons, dozens of them, including for former Trump campaign manager Steve Bannon, who had been accused of ripping off Trump supporters by fundraising for a bogus border wall project. Plus a surprise pardon for Anthony Lewandowski, the self-driving car engineer at the center of Google's trade secret theft case against Uber. Oh, and plus a pardon for one of the fathers accused of bribing his kid's way into college. Today, we're also watching Washington, D.C. itself. Now, normally, Inauguration Day generates over $31 million in additional sales for local businesses, but obviously not this time because there's no crowd. Axios's Hadley Malcolm spoke to David Moran of the Old Ebbett Grill which sits alongside the regular inaugural parade route, who told her, quote, the closest thing we've seen to something like this is 9-11. And finally, we are watching the last days of Kelly Leffler's ownership of the WNBA's Atlanta Dream. The former Georgia senator is close to finalizing a sale of the team, whose players had all endorsed her election opponent, Raphael Warnock, with ESPN reporting that up to five bidders have expressed interest. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great national butter crunch day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios recap. And if you like this episode or any of our other episodes, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. 